This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Black women in the South. I think we're all um, disheartened. Ashley Shelton, founder and CEO of the Power Coalition. She's from Louisiana. I mean, think, think about how crazy it is that, you know, that I currently have less, you know, less rights than my grandparents. But that's across generations. It's not even like, you know, my generation or the millennials or the Gen Z years. Like, it's across multiple generations that we have less um, rights. And we see it playing out in southern, southern states more, power, you know, more vividly than in other places because it's already our history. It's already our past. And so what we're fighting for is to stop the rollback. Coming up in this episode of Colors... Jennifer Farmer is a strategic communications professional. She's a lecturer and also author of the award-winning book, First and Only. I wrote the book because uh, as a Black woman who was in a leadership position, I consumed a ton of business books that were supposed to help me be better at my job. She says many of those books didn't prepare her for what she would face in the workplace. For instance, uh, many Black women experience tone policing. We experience questions about our hair. Uh, Many of us are afraid to be labeled an angry Black woman. So how do you handle all that? And how do you prepare yourself to do what's right for you? That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting. Injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Hi, my name is Sahara. I'm African-American and live in New York City. My name is Albert Takeshi Shimabukuro. I am a Japanese Okinawan here in the Washington, D.C. area. My name is Karen Hansen. I'm white. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I live in Washington, D.C. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. On this episode, we're talking to Jennifer Farmer. She's a writer, trainer, activist, communicator, and she's a rainmaker. She's one of our rainmakers, and these are the folks that I often tell you about that bring other people and their stories to us. She is prolific at this, and we are very grateful for that. But Jennifer Farmer is doing her own work for her own calls as well, aside from her professional work for clients. So I want to talk to her today specifically about her book, First and Only. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. You've written a book, and it's called First and Only. And this is a book that I think is very important to everyone, but specifically to black women. Will you tell us about this book and tell us why you wrote it? I wrote the book because uh, as a black woman who was in a leadership position, I consumed a ton of business books that were supposed to help me be better at my job. 
many of those books did not prepare me for what I would face in various workplaces as a Black woman. For instance, uh, many Black women experience tone policing. We experience questions about our hair. Uh, many of us are afraid to be labeled an angry Black woman. And many of the books that I picked up were written by white men or white women, and they did not speak to the lived experience of Black women. And so I thought it was important to add my perspective. The book, first and only, talks about the dynamic of being the first one to do something, um, being the only in a workplace, and what that's like. So for instance, when Black women have achieved a certain level of success, our families may look at us and say, oh, well, she has it all together. But at the same time, we may be in workplaces that are hostile about our presence or ambivalent about our success. And I wanted to name all of that. You mentioned several things. Tone policing, hair criticism, being the first and only. Talk about the tone policing. How does that work? And, and how, how did you experience it yourself? Tone policing is when Black women are monitored based on how we say certain things and how we communicate it, how we communicate. The way that I experienced that was my boss is telling me that I needed to be nicer, or I had a boss who told me that I needed to say no nicely. I didn't know what that meant. And at issue was he had, he had an issue with how I communicated. Many Black women in professional settings are told that we are intimidating, um, that we need to be nicer. But I think that, you know, while we all strive to be pleasant, niceness is a construct. And depending on your culture, what you may consider um, assertive could be offensive to other people. And I, I find that many Black women who advocate for themselves can be accused of being offensive. And so when I say tone policing, that's what I mean. Okay, the hair criticism. Um, I've heard a lot of different people talk about that, but each one of them typically has a different meaning or a different understanding of what's taking place, especially in the way in which they communicate the criticism that they got. But tell us generally what you mean by this type of criticism and, and how essentially um, you respond to it yourself. So for Black women, there's always a calculation about how we should style our hair, whether it will be received. If we decide to wear our hair natural, will we be received at work? Also, will we be considered beautiful? Now, there is a strong natural hair movement, but for some of us, um, that did not exist when we were growing up. At least we weren't praised for wearing natural hair. How Black women wear our hair, there are, uh, depending on where you work, we may receive feedback about that, and that can be very challenging. I think hair is very political, and it's something that we're always navigating. That's really troubling and sad, but it's not a surprise. This is something that's been going on for a while. You know, people and women, black women and women of color specifically, having to essentially take time out of their profession professional life to deal with something that shouldn't they shouldn't have to so what do you and if you if you if you talk to black women who wear their hair um straight um and if you talk to some of them and you ask them why for a lot of um, black women we 
we have struggled or we have been told that, you know, if you wear your hair straight, that that is more attractive. And so um, when we choose to go natural, we are pushing up against um, a lot. And so um, we're making a statement. We're making a political statement. We're also choosing to embrace all of ourselves. How do you uh, address this in your book? Do you do any kind of suggestions for people or uh, how do you suggest that women handle this kind of issue? The first thing that I suggest is that we name it and that we acknowledge that it's happening Um, because some of this happens on a subconscious level and we deal with it privately or we deal with it, you know, in a safe and supportive network if we have it. And so the first thing that I encourage black women is to name it. Um, The next thing that I encourage black women to do is to do what's comfortable for you um, and to be aware of why you're doing what you're doing. Even if you say, well, I'm wearing my hair straight because I've been told for years that that is attractive. uh, There's power in naming and knowing it and there's value in that. And then um, I really encourage black women to be on a journey to love ourselves, even if that means that today I'm going to commit to loving myself a little bit more than, you know, what I did the day before. One of the things that um, that I think about is is also body weight and, you know, what is the ideal size? Of course, there is no ideal size, but I encourage black women to um Um, To do what Sabrina, I believe her name is Sabrina Gandy. She wrote a book called Sacred Pampering Principles for Black Women. And she said to, um, you know, look at your arm and tell your arm you love it. Caress your arm. Look at your leg and tell your leg you love it and appreciate your body. When it comes to loving our hair, um, that is also loving all of ourselves. And so I tell us to appreciate Uh, ourselves and to be on a journey to fall deeper in love with ourselves on a day-to-day basis. And part of that is acceptance. Part of it is also telling ourselves the truth. How do you reach other women uh, with your message aside from your book? Because I'm assuming this book is not a one-off. It's not just something that you're doing. Um, You know, it's not just a money-making venture. This sounds to me like it's something that's much deeper and something that means a lot more to you. And so I think you probably want to get your message to as many people as you can. So how are you reaching other women, other black women? My hope is is that as women read the book, experience the book, they will take it and share it with women in their lives. Um, And then I think that anyone who I come in contact with, I have a responsibility to love that person well to showcase what good boundaries look like so that even boundaries are not um, offensive, you know, or that we can embrace boundaries. And so that's everyone who I come in contact. But the other thing is to be the best version of myself possible. And my hope is that as I try to be the best version of myself, that I will free other people to do the same. You know, I think that there are so many things in life that tells us that we're not good enough. Uh, If we are unmarried, then if we're not careful, we'll say, "Okay, well, I'm not good enough because I'm not married. If we don't have a certain amount of money in the bank, we say, well, I'm not good enough because I don't have X, Y and Z in the bank. And I think um, part of what I'm trying to do is to say, um, even with uh, my flaws, even with the the great parts I'm worthy and I want to believe that about myself and showcase that and hopefully inspire other women to believe it about themselves as well. 
the final point is when I think about, um, you know, writing a book, I wrote this book because I was experiencing certain things and I wanted to name it. I didn't write the book to make money. Most people know that, you know, when you're publishing, you don't make a ton of money, at least, you know, unless you have a huge name. And even that, you know, people in in that category, it's few and far between. So this was not about um, money at all. It was about, um, it was about telling the truth in an effort to set myself free and hopefully other women as well. Tell, tell us about some of the other elements in the book. Um, one of the things that I talk about is myths to resist. And so for a lot of us, as we were coming up, we heard a number of myths. Um, one of the myths that we heard was that anger is harmful. And so I, for years, I was afraid to get angry. You know, I was afraid of how people would look at me if I voiced my displeasure. And I talk about the importance of resisting that label that anger is bad and embracing all of our emotions. I talk about the importance of being vulnerable. For so many times and for so many years, Black women have been told to be strong and to look like we have it all together. But that is not possible. And so I encourage readers to find spaces where they can be vulnerable and um, even if it's a small space, something is better than, than nothing. But it makes no sense to live a life projecting that you have it all together and inwardly you are dying, you know, inwardly you are struggling. So I talk a lot about vulnerability. I talk a lot about the importance of networking. You know, one of the things that networking does is it expands our understanding of what's possible. And if you have only experienced certain things, you may not know what's possible. And so I talk about the importance of being intentional and expanding our networks, as well as the limitations of networking. You know, uh, the question I want to ask you at this point is about the preparation for what brought you to writing this book. But, you know, a lot of things took place after George Floyd's death. Um, This podcast itself was born after George Floyd's death a couple of weeks later because I was moved to do something to 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 try to address something that was overwhelmingly obvious to me and that was the need to talk about some situations between the races that existed in this country that we don't deal with was there a moment or a day or time that you can look at that you said okay I got to do this so let's get at it the the um when I started writing first and only I started writing it in 2018 and I was trying to process feedback that I was receiving at work that I was too aggressive um, that I was not nice enough and so I started writing this book as a journal and um, at the same time I was observing what was happening in the culture and I was realizing that black women were treated pretty horribly online especially if they had the courage to share how they feel or to make a political statement that um, they were not treated very well. And I wrote an article about the online abuse of black women. And when I wrote that article, it went viral for me. And what I mean is it was like 20,000 times people were sharing it. And in that moment I said, okay, I'm onto something. This is not just about my experience. It's about our experience. And I should, you know, I really need to dig in and write the book finish the book, rather. Tell me what your thoughts are about race in America today um, as a general matter. You know, you've talked about your book. You've talked about the the impact of a lot of things on black women. But just give me your thoughts on the general state of race in America today. 
I'm very, I'm very concerned about the state of race in America. I'm concerned because I feel like we're an environment, we are in an environment where we can't have honest conversations or where a lot of people don't want to have honest conversations. And I don't know how we move past conflict or trauma without talking about it. So I'm very, very concerned. I think that on an individual level, many of us are trying to do the right thing, but there are so many systems in place that make progress difficult. So I'm, I'm probably more concerned about race in America in 2022 than I was in 2018 or 2016 or any other point in my lifetime. I'm very concerned. So do you have any thoughts about what you might do about that concern or how you would address that concern? Have you gotten that far in this process? I, you know, I'm thinking through it. You know, one of the things that I've told myself and that I tell myself is that I want to remain open. I want to remain open to seeing the best in people. I don't want to become hardened and cynical. I want to remain open to the possibility of, um, of loving people in their full humanity. And I think that's as far as I've, I've gotten at this point. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to talk about that I haven't asked you about that you think is important today? You know, I want to share the ways that people can find the book, and it's, it's available at any bookseller. Um, my website is jenniferrfarmer.org. And my hope is that this book is a conversation starter for some people and that for other people, it is a hug. You know, I, I want black women to feel seen. I want women who want to be better allies and people who want to be better allies to black women to be inspired and to learn from this. And so that that's what I would offer. Have you heard from any women, black women that have read this book? Absolutely. You know, I've heard from black women who've read the book. I've heard from white women. I've heard from Southeast Asian women. And most of the black women who I hear from, um, and also the women of color, they tell me, you told my story, or I felt, I felt seen. Uh, one woman, a Southeast Asian woman, told me that she was in a bookstore. She started skimming through the book. Then she sat down and she said before she knew it, she was crying. Um, and she did not expect to be impacted that way because the book was written to black women. But the response that I've received has been, you know, it's been phenomenal and it's been really affirming. And one of the things that it's told me is that when we are true to our story, um, we create space for people to find themselves in our story or to find their own story. Well, Jennifer, um, I greatly appreciate you talking to us about this book and sharing with people how they can get a hold of it. You know, I, I want to take a minute to talk about your PR spotlight work. You do a lot of very important work in getting other stakeholders in the racial and social justice uh, arena out there and uh, creating space for them to, to tell their stories and to talk about their work. What are some of the, uh, what are some of the areas that you and your clients are engaged in at this point? My clients are committed to advancing uh, social justice, racial justice, climate justice. So anything at the next, the nexus of justice and um, freedom, that's that that tends to be where I live. So my clients are uh, are running climate justice campaigns and urging action to create a more sustainable future. My clients are working on education equity, ensuring that schools are safe for children of color. 
I have other clients who work on policing and uh, police brutality. I have other clients who work on redistricting and on uh, the electoral process. So I think the exciting thing about my work is it's my way to give back. There's so much happening, but by elevating the voices of people who are doing this work, I feel like I'm contributing as well. And, and that's very exciting. Any final thoughts? Thank you so much for creating space for my voice in this story. All right. Jennifer Farmer, thank you very much for your time today. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Wendelin Hume. I'm Anishinaabe. I grew up in northwestern Ontario uh, on the reservation on Lake of the Woods, and I currently reside in the Great Plains area of North Dakota. Being kind of um, stuck on a reservation or having impoverished conditions or being attacked by people outside the reservation community, these are not choices that people would freely and willingly make. No one chooses to be attacked or to be kidnapped or to be sex trafficked or to be, you know, it's, it's not a choice that they're making. If they had all, a lot of other options to choose from, no one would choose this. So I think sometimes it's just easy for other people to say they're, they're off in their own place, just leave them be. We don't need to pay attention to that without understanding we're all part of humanity. We're all part of the same web. What, what hurts someone, even off in a remote corner of a reservation, lessens us all. So I think we do need to pay attention to this. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Hi, my name is Sahara. I'm African-American and live in New York City. My name is Albert Takeshi Shimabukuro. I am a Japanese Okinawan here in the Washington, D.C. area. My name is Karen Hansen. I'm white. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I live in Washington, D.C. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors... There is a very important Supreme Court case in progress. Forcing us to acknowledge, and hopefully the Supreme Court will agree, that racism and discrimination really prevents students from having equal access to educational opportunities. Niyati Shah, she's Director of Litigation at Asian Americans Advancing Justice. The case is called Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus Presidents and Fellows of Harvard. It's one of two cases coming before the Supreme Court to eliminate race as an admissions factor. Shaw and her group argue that shouldn't happen. When you have holistic race-conscious admissions, then you can um, address some of these barriers that can prevent many Black and Brown and AI students even that are qualified but um, have to overcome systemic barriers that perhaps other students um, don't. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for another episode. Uh, there are some people to thank here, and uh, there's some things I want to say very quickly. Um, Hillary Howard, thank you. Thanks to Mike Jakaitis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler. Thank you to the core family. Thanks to Gina Bazemore. Thanks to Peggy Byard. 
Thank you to Rose Varner Gaskins. Thank you to all of our rainmakers. And especially uh, thank you to Roz Whitaker Heck, who is one of the people that we turn to quite often for help and answers. But also, I want to say before I go, some very unsettling things have taken place in Washington and across the country in Cincinnati, down in Mar-a-Lago in Florida, uh, in Chautauqua in New York with Salman Rushdie and any number of things that have taken place across the country that there's just not enough time to mention where lives have been threatened, lives have been taken. People are just upset and people are angry. And I just need to say, take a minute, take a breath, chill, think about things, think about what you're doing before you do it. I know it may seem bad at the moment, but just give it a minute, think it over and it might just improve. So also I want to thank for our music off Shane, I want to thank Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic, and I want to thank you for always being here for Colors, for always checking us out and listening. If you have something you want us to know, a story you want to tell, I know I do that thing all the time, inviting you to do it, but I need you to know this is the place. Do it. Let us know. And thank you for listening. And uh, just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.